there, and welcome to the Homeschooling Family Podcast. Here, we discuss just about everything that comes into play when you are a Christian homeschooling family. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and on today's podcast, I'm joined by Israel Wayne as we talk about common mistakes that parents make. We all want to see our children walk with God and grow up well, but there do seem to be some blind spots that a lot of parents have. Israel will address those for us today and give lots of practical advice for overcoming them. I am so glad you're here. Let's dive right in with my conversation with Israel Wayne. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we have a real treat on the podcast as Israel Wayne is joining us to talk about parenting, which he does an awful lot of. Israel has been with us I think from the very first Teach Them Diligently, but we've known him for an awful lot of years. Love him and his family. Uh, So Israel, welcome to the Homeschooling Families podcast. Thank you, Leslie. It's great to be with you once again. So how long have you been in ministry and talking about parenting and family and stuff like that? Well, I got into it originally as a homeschool graduate. And so I've been working as uh, a speaker and in Christian publishing and homeschool publishing since January of 1993. Wow. Uh, before I was married, I was still a teenager then, but I was one of the earliest homeschool graduates in the United States. And so my mom was one of the founders of the homeschooling movement in the late 1970s and 1980s. And so she had written books and published a national magazine on homeschooling and would speak at conferences. And uh, after a while, people started asking me if I would speak on homeschooling from my perspective as a homeschool graduate, because they really hadn't heard from that angle before. You know, there'd been a lot of people who were presenting theory of, you know, here's how you should homeschool and why you should homeschool. But there weren't really uh, examples of people who had been through the homeschool process who could talk about it from, from their vantage point. So that was where I started just as a teenager doing teen tracks and being on discussion panels. Uh, hmm. By the time I was 19, I was actually doing keynote sessions at conferences and um, have been able to be, be part of the homeschooling community and in leadership capacities of various kinds uh, ever since that time. Well, that is amazing. It's it's so cool to see the doors that God opens to use what he's put in your hand. In your case, you know, your homeschool experience to encourage um, so many families who were, especially at that time with no kind of proof in the pudding like we have now, just are serious questions. Am I doing the right thing for my child? Am I giving them a foundation? And, you know, all of those things that maybe we struggle with now, but at least we can look around and see an awful lot of, of good results coming out of homeschooling. Yeah. You know, one of the things that was a blessing to me growing up in the unique position that I did with my mother having uh, published a, a national homeschooling magazine was that her publication really helped to launch to discover and then launch the careers of a lot of the homeschool writers and authors and conference speakers back in the 80s and 90s and the 2000s and so forth. And I had the unique privilege of getting to know most of those homeschool pioneers to um, meet them personally. They were in our home. We were in their home, uh, being able to 
kind of watch them from a professional standpoint, attending their conferences and seminars, reading their books, their articles. Uh, one of the things that my mom had my sister and I do was uh, proofread the articles before they went to press. And so over the years, um, we read thousands of articles on parenting and family and home discipleship and education and so forth. And so it kind of helped to shape my worldview to a great extent, being mm. mentored, if you will, um, professionally, but also personally by these families. Um, one, one interesting side note was that because I knew these families personally, um, I often saw things that were disconnects sometimes between what the people taught and what actually got implemented in their homes. Hmm. And some people are, of course, very consistent and you could see the fruit of that in their families. But there were others where you could tell there was a, a great disconnect. And, and um, sometimes there were people who had bad teaching that sounded good and <laughs> I got, to, well, I'll just give you one example. I remember one time being sitting in the back of an auditorium, listening to the keynote speaker at a, a large conference. And he was talking about parenting and homeschooling and family discipleship and a lot of really good things. And his teenage son, who was a friend of mine, leaned over to me and said, you know, I think if my mom and dad knew what I really believed, they'd be shocked. Wow. And so I had kind of an inside track uh, with, uh, I would say, the leadership side of homeschooling. And I got to watch things that worked and things that didn't work. And uh, I just recently put out a new book called Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians. And one of the things that I wanted to do in that book was to help talk about some of the mistakes that I've seen a lot of families make, even conservative Christian families or, or Christian homeschooling families, mistakes that they've made that have resulted in either a disconnect relationally with their own children or yeah. sometimes with their children rejecting the Christian faith. And I've wanted to kind of use that experience and help to warn parents and say, you don't have to make these same mistakes. Right. Uh, there's, there's like a big pothole here in the middle of the road. Uh, please drive around it. You know, you don't have <laughs> to do this with your family. Yeah, absolutely. It is, you know, statistically, it, it's so um, almost overwhelming to hear of how many children are actually walking away. Um, and that's, as you know, that's, that's what drives David and I in the ministry of Teach Them Diligently, too, is, is trying to, to stand in the gap and, and help families curb that by building relationships, discipling, parenting your children God's way. Um, so I'm very eager to hear from your perspective with, with as interesting of a walk as you have had and, and kind of an insight as you have had, what are some of those, those common mistakes that you've been able to pinpoint through the years um, that like you said, kind of leave that Mac hole size <laughs> pothole to fall in. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think one of them, you know, you look at, I always say this, that in the narrow road uh, of the Christian life, there's a, usually a ditch on either side of that narrow road. And it seems like as Christians, we're in one of those ditches or the other most of the time. And I would say that in the Christian community, you have a ditch on one side of worldliness and a mm. ditch on the other side of legalism. Those are both problematic. 
if we were to look at the Christian church as a whole across America, I think worldliness is the far greater problem where you have church going people um, who have their Sunday ritual, but they really live their lives very much apart from Christ. They don't have a personal walk with Christ. They're not studying his word they're, They don't have devotion and sanctification in their own life. Uh, there's just sort of this pursuit of the American dream. And so they kind of live like functional humanists, but they're, they're theological Christians, if that makes sense. So that, you know, they live like everybody else in the world, but, but make a Christian profession of faith. And obviously if you live that way and you model that, then your children are going to be likely to follow that as well. Um, Within the conservative Christian community um, and even in the homeschooling community, we had in the eighties and nineties and even into the two thousands, we had an awful lot of legalism. Mm-hmm. And it was imbalanced and it was problematic. And um, what I would say is I feel like we've shifted a little bit now and that the the thing that I, how I would describe it today is that parents oftentimes are inadvertently teaching their children with moralism hmm. rather than with the gospel as being the center. Right. And, I've seen ways that I've even done that in my own life with my own children, especially early on as a younger parent, where I was so concerned about getting the right kind of outcomes from my children and the right sort of behavior, uh, because obviously that makes us look good as parents. And I I often would say things to them that sounded good. uh, Like, for example, if one of my children walked in the room and grabbed a toy away from their sibling or, you know, pushed them over for no good reason or some, some mean thing like that. Um, how I would have handled it years ago would have been, you know, 18 years ago or so would have been more to say, uh, Hey, you shouldn't treat your sister that way. That's not nice. Uh, you need to apologize. Um, you know, stop doing that bad thing, uh, here, start doing this good thing. And it's only been more, in later parenting that I've realized that those opportunities in child training and discipline are really wonderful opportunities for me to put the gospel as forefront Mm -hmm. rather than teaching my child that their great need is to stop being bad and to start being good. Right. I can, I can go more to the heart of that issue and I can ask them questions and say, what was it that's going on inside of you that caused you to walk into the room and treat your brother or your sister with disrespect and to be mean to them. Um, the heart of that is really that you love yourself more than you love your brother or your sister. And where does that come from? That comes from the fact that, you know, we are born that way, that we are hardwired knowing how to love ourselves. We're not hardwired knowing how to love other people. And, and the reason you're that way, son, is because that's what I'm like. That's how we're all born. We're all born that way. We got it from Adam. And so this is why we need Christ. We need Christ to deliver us from us. And see, it gives me an opportunity to bring the gospel into the presentation of their sin and and into the, the process of discipline. And, I, you know, I, I did that, I think, uh, when they were younger, but usually not in that context, I wasn't right. 
I wasn't as mindful. I wasn't as purposeful. I wasn't as intentional. I was just more intense in the moment about getting them to stop the bad thing that they were doing and just start being nice. Right. Well, and it's, it's so much easier to just go for the fruit rather than to go down for the root or the heart of the matter and, and take the time, like you said, to ask those questions, to, to point them to Jesus, to teach them to think biblically about these things rather than just swatting at actions or what people can see. Yeah, for sure. And I think when I, when I started to, my children got maybe 12 years old and my oldest one's got about 12. And I started to have those conversations to them about what do you think the gospel is? Or, you know, what do you think saves someone? And hearing them say things like, well, um, it means that we have to be good. <laughs> things like that. And as a parent, you blink and you're like, no, wait a minute. I didn't teach yeah. you that. I didn't communicate that. <laughs> we have uh, not talked always, about that. <laughs> yeah, you always feel like I've done better than that. And yet sometimes uh, I think that really is the message that we communicate mm. is that, you know, you need to try harder. You need to do better. You need to stop doing the bad things and start doing the good things. And if really that was our great need and if we were capable of that in our own flesh, um, well, then we wouldn't need Christ at all. Right. We wouldn't need salvation. We wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't need the, the blood. You know, we, we don't need the cross. We we can just uh, behavior modification. We can just stop doing bad things and start doing good things. And so my desire now for my children is that I really want them to realize that their great need is really the same thing as my great need, which yeah. is they need Christ and that their failures are a great reminder it's a great way to point them back to just remembering um, when they when they mess up, when they fail, when they sin. I need Jesus, and so if I can train them towards that's where you run um, when you find yourself failing. That's where you run when you find yourself falling short of the glory of God. Um, is to run to the grace of Christ. And to throw yourself upon his grace and, and to see your great need and that he's your only hope. Um, that's what I want to start communicating to my children. I've been working on that for a number of years now, but um, I, I feel like part of the reason why I parented that way was that was the Christian homeschool culture in which mm. I grew up. And I just subtly had sort of inadvertently consumed these ideas that Christianity is about a set of morals and biblical principles and ethics and doing the right things and avoiding bad things. And it's insidious. It's a little bit, uh, you know, it's, it's wrong. It's a false theology, but it sounds good and it looks good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, back to your, your point about taking the time to shepherd your children's hearts and, and really truly model for them their need for Jesus. That implies that as a mom and a dad, you are growing closer to Jesus yourself, which um, is, is something that I, you know, I think a lot of people jump over in, in this, I want to be a great parent, but they miss the part that if they're not growing and changing, if they're not, you know, bathing themselves in God's word, they're really ill-equipped to be a great parent, biblically speaking, because, you know, you you are living out and modeling for your children what humility before Jesus looks like, what um, really what forgiveness from sin looks like, what, what humbling yourself and, and asking forgiveness for others looks like. And all of those things, you're modeling what it looks like to be a growing Christian as well. And so I think that we can't overstate 
the importance of moms and dads getting in God's word and growing themselves. For sure. I saw a quote the other day. I don't remember the source of it, but it said something like, you shouldn't be so concerned that your children aren't listening to you. You should be concerned that they're watching everything yep. you do. <laughs> yep. And I think there's a, a sense sometimes where we forget that that really is what Jesus said discipleship would be. It's the process of that student becoming like the teacher. It's the process of the student taking on the mannerisms and the attitude and the actions of the parent. And so we don't want that, I think, in general. I think what we really want is we want our children to become a composite of all of the biblical principles that we teach them. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But in reality, uh, they watch how we live and they mimic that and they emulate that. And so it is a bit frightening, I think, but it also is a great challenge to us that we can say as the apostle Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. And, and so again, you know, what does that look like? I I think sometimes we, we look at it as our, our great need is to net, I mean, maybe not everyone, but I I think for those of us maybe who grew up in more of a moralistic kind of a framework uh, from our churches or our Christian community, um, sometimes we look at it as our, our main goal is not to mess up. Our main goal is not to make mistakes. Our main goal is not to sin. And I think our, our greater need, uh, and not that, the, not that I'm advising those things. I mean, certainly we don't, we don't want to make mistakes and sin and we don't want to fail. But I think our greater need uh, is to know how to humble ourselves and repent and to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. And modeling that for our families, I think, is more important for us than never making a mistake. Yeah. And I think sometimes what we do as parents is our pride keeps us from the grace of God because rather than just acknowledging that we've messed up or that we've sinned, uh, we want to save face. Mm-hmm. So we don't confess our sin, as the scripture tells us to. We don't call it what it is. Um, in pride, we name it something else. We cloak it as something else, you know, call it righteous indignation when it was just our flesh. And <laughs> so we, we fail to model for our children what, what humility and brokenness and repentance right. looks like. Well, and I think for some, it, um, it comes down to, to fearing you'll lose your, your place of authority, that, that sense of authority when actually the, the complete opposite is true. Um, And, and I think that that's a real secret that a lot of parents miss is that by humbling yourselves and by walking in in genuine faith before your children, you're actually establishing a much better authority with them in, in matters of life and godliness and that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's hard for moms. I think it's harder for dads. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, And it's harder for us as husbands you know, because even in marriage, sometimes as men, we want to save face and act like we didn't just blow it royally. And we know we did, <laughs> but we don't want to admit that because we think that our wives won't respect us. And like you said, the opposite is true. Our our wives respect us far more. Our children respect us far more when we take ownership for our failures. And you know, again, I, I think that when you look at what the scripture says about how God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble, what we really want in our families is we want the grace of God. Mm. And so what attracts that grace to our situation, what attracts that grace is walking in humility 
And that resistance that we experience um, is really rooted in the fact that we're, we're trying to look good rather than to actually um, live the sanctified life. And the sanctified life really does require uh, humility and honesty and, uh, and contrition. And so, you know, that, that whole thing, how the scripture talks about um, in, in the Beatitudes, you know, just about um, how, how we're supposed to have poverty of spirit. Um, you know, poverty of spirit really is having the attitude that we can humble down, um, that we don't have to pretend. And I think that that kind of goes in a little bit with, you know, moralism and legalism are kind of connected a little bit. I, I think, you know, some people define legalism as like trying to earn your salvation through works. And I think that's one viable definition of it. But I think legalism can also be, you know, having a lot of man-made rules that you exalt to the same status yeah. as, as God's law or God's commands. Um, and there are times where I think as parents, we, uh, rather than, than having the humility um, to, to just follow God's commands, we try to create the structure so that our children will never fail, so they'll never make mistakes, so they're ne- they'll never sin. And then when they do, we're just shocked and we're horrified and, you know, we can't believe that they would possibly do that and possibly act that way. And um, I, I guess I'll throw this out there, too. Uh, you know, I know this can get into a little bit of theological deep water, but <laughs> but but he, here's an interesting thought. You know, how do you know that your children have actually been born again? Hmm. And uh, and we're not going to solve that in this podcast, but. You know, if you have a child who doesn't really know Christ and doesn't really have a relationship with Christ, um, is not born again, does not have newness of life, is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, um, is is just still kind of controlled by the flesh, and you're teaching them simply to act good, look good, respond well, behave well, have good manners, you know, whatever— you're almost kind of teaching them how to be a very dignified, cultured heathen. Right. Yeah. Again, is that their great need? No, not at all. And I think that really to this point, for a lot of parents, especially this, this comes up as your children get older and the questions get harder. Right. Um, And they really truly do start pulling at things. They're trying to formulate their own faith, their own worldview. Their, their, their minds are getting um, more able to actually think through things much on a much deeper level. And yet parents are so afraid of allowing their children to ask good questions um, for fear that I don't know, maybe they're they're afraid they don't know the answer for fear that you know the fact that they're asking those questions is indicative of the fact that they're even or whatever it is. Right. But right. but we cannot run from those questions because our children are going to ask somebody, and who they go to is really really important in what kind of a faith or a worldview foundation they're going to have. Absolutely. So having those doors of communication open. Uh, with our children, I think is super important and and not being shocked when our children sin, not being shocked yes. when they fall short of the glory of God, but being able to speak to that, not from a posture of superiority, but to come alongside them and realize that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that includes us. And to be able to come alongside them 
and and point the way to Christ, and even explaining from our own lives how um, you know maybe mistakes that we made when we were younger. Uh, or mistakes that we still make to show just, again, how much we need Jesus. So I think some people feel like when I talk about this, you know, maybe if, again, if they grew up in a real legalistic environment or they feel like, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm speaking against moralism, because of that, that ditch on either side of the road, they may feel like I'm promoting some kind of sloppy grace message or, you know, cheap grace where you're saying, okay, so Israel doesn't believe in standards or, you know, he doesn't think it's important to have rules or things like that. Um, that's not what I'm saying. I, I feel like there are uh, there's a mistake on the other side. You know, where we can allow our children to grow up without boundaries, we can allow them to have harmful influences. I, I think it is, uh, you know, again another mistake that we can make of of just um, thinking that all they need is to uh, you know pray a sinner's prayer. Uh, walk the aisle, shake the pastor's hand, get baptized, and you know that's that's a go on a mission trip or something like that, and that we we don't have to invest in them deeply on a discipleship level, or you know we we don't need to be careful what movies they watch or what video games they play or who their friends are. We we do. I mean we 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 do need to be concerned about those things. Those are huge influences in our children's lives. Uh, I'm not advocating that. You know, we just, uh, you know, pray for our kids and, and we don't have to put any work in. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. there's, there's an awful lot of bad things we want to keep out and a lot of good things we want to put in. But, but ultimately, isn't it the Holy Spirit that Jesus said would lead and guide us into all truth? And so I think it's more important, as much as I want my children to know everything before they leave my home, I think it's more important that they know Christ Mm-hmm. Um, and that they have a walk with Christ because the Holy Spirit can continue to use other people in their lives and other influences and resources to grow them. But if if they don't have that, no amount of head knowledge in the world is going to compensate for that. Well, exactly. And and even kind of back to your point about um, the the the, the rules and, you know, you know, not in, enforcing anything or whatever. We have always told our children and tried to help our children learn to think of the fact that what is in your heart is going to show in your life. So who you love is going to dictate what you do. And so most of the rules in our house are probably stricter than some and less than others, but but they are designed to show who we love most. And and that is, if you are looking at the world through the lens of, I am doing this because I love a God who sent his son to die for me. And I love people because he, he loved them so much too that he died for them. Then that really becomes a great measuring stick for how you are living your life and how you're dealing, again, especially as your children get older. Everything is much more black and white when your kids are young, but but you've got to teach your children how to come up with their own standards and rules in a shifting, you know, things are very different now, even than they were when we started parenting and homeschooling. The, the, we would have never had a rule about video games when my kids were little because we didn't let them have video games at all. There wasn't much out there. Now, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. So you've got to, so you can't just, there's no rule book 
for a Christian parent that is going to stand the test of time as far as every specific rule that you're going to want to have. But we are taught that our love, what's in our heart is going to come out our mouth. It's going to come out in our actions and that kind of thing. And that really is a great, is a great way to see what's going on inside the heart of your child is, is what's coming out that way. Absolutely. And one thing I've, I've, I'm trying to learn how to do, uh, our oldest child is 20 and our youngest right now is about 20 months. And so <laughs> we have, we have 10, so we have quite an age range and we currently have four teenagers living in our home. And one of the things that I'm trying to do is to learn how to shift from um, parenting from more of an authority structure when they're younger children to more of a coach when they're older. Mm. Um, not to say that parents don't have authority in the older years, but you have to be very careful about how you apply that. And what, what I've learned is if you can shift from uh, control when they're really little to influence when they're older it help and help them to learn how to ask good questions yes and how to make good decisions and how to develop accountability in their lives and and that you, you come alongside them more as a sort of a life coach um, that seems to go better I, I notice some parents do it the opposite they and in my view do it wrong in mm. that they they don't really have boundaries and rules and restrictions and authority for their two-year-old and three-year-old they act like they want to be best buddies with their you know, two to four year old. Uh, and then when they're, when their children are 15, 16, 17, they clamp down and they have this real rigid, harsh, authoritarian kind of parenting that just goes bad. And yeah, no question. I've seen it. I mean, again, from my position, I've seen that play out even with people who are professional conference speakers and authors, I've seen it in their families. And so, you know, when, what you actually apply um, is, is the fruit that you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I've seen parents uh, who teach on these topics, and some of them will have a really good message that they put out there, but they don't live their own message, mm-hmm. and they don't implement what they teach in their own home. There's a disconnect, and they get the fruit of what they actually put in. And you know, it's uh, it's a, it's a lot. It's kind of daunting, honestly. I mean, I have ten children, and. My wife and I uh, don't really know what we're doing. We, we're like everybody else. We're, we're finding our way as we go. And, you know, a lot of times as parents, you, you have some good theories and then you get there and at the new stage and you say, I don't know how we're going to handle this. And so, you know, a lot of theories like right now, this whole life launch side is something that I have some theories about, but I really don't know what I'm don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same point, I, I really do think it comes down to humility and just being willing as parents to go back to Christ and say, you know what, we don't know what we're doing. Um, please guide us, give us wisdom. And then if we find out that we're making mistakes with our children to try to correct that quickly and confess to them and, you know, just to walk humbly. And I, yeah. I feel like there's, there's grace in that, at least so far, in our family, in our experience, um, those are some things that we've seen that have, have worked for us. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as my, my oldest is 21, I my next is 19. Um, and what we're discovering is as you make that transition, even, you know, you've got the teenage years where you're, you're, you're still guiding and stuff. And now at 21, you are absolutely a counselor, but it's very, very, very different. Um, 
I have a man living in my house now, going to college, doing his thing. Um, and the amount of faith and trust that is required, even, I mean, good kid, but yeah. the stakes yeah. are so high. God, yeah. don't let him make a mistake. Let him make wise no. choices. Keep him from sin. All these things. And God absolutely strengthens your faith as a parent in ways that I, you wouldn't even believe it. You could, I can tell you about it. Israel can tell you about it, but until you're there, <laughs> you can't possibly understand exactly that, that new, uh, just passion for prayer for those yeah. young adult children as they are, as they're becoming the men and women that God would have them be. Yeah. And I, I would just say kind of as, you know, a, a sort of final thought for me is make sure you for those of you that have younger children, put the time in on the front end. Yep. Um, do not, do not skimp on that. Make sure that you invest as deeply as you can on the time end on the front end, because it's just like gardening, right? You know, you have to put in the work in the spring if you want the harvest in the fall. Yep. And I see parents who get busy in that season. Uh, they think that they have lots and lots of time and you don't. It goes by so fast. And every veteran parent, every grandparent tells you that it goes <laughs> by so fast. But it really does. And, and you know, when you finally wake up and your child's 15, 16, and you realize like, oh, wow, we didn't really put in the work here. You, you just don't have time to go right. back and, and do this, the, lay the foundation that you should have laid before. And, um, you know, not to say God can't still work in their life because he can and he does. But it's it's no substitute for actually just putting in the hard work. And, and again, you know, I talk about this in a lot of the presentations I do at the conferences, but the two biggest things are time and affirmation. Mm. You have to spend more time with your children than anyone else, and you have to affirm them more than anyone else in their life. And if you do that, you will buy influence that you'll be able to use later on as they get older, but you have to put it in on the front end. And so even though right now you may feel with those younger ones like, oh, this is so hard and it's so demanding and man, you are going to so thank God yes. that you did that uh, in those early years when they get to be the later teen and early 20 years and you start to see the fruit of that come forth in their life. Uh, I have never met a parent yet who has ever said, Later in life, I just wish I hadn't spent so much time with my children. <laughs> I've heard thousands of them say the opposite. Right. You know, I just right. wish I hadn't focused on unimportant things. I wish I just spent more time really investing in my children's hearts. You'll never regret the time you put in uh, with them when they're young. Oh, absolutely. And those, if they know that you're listening to them when you're, they're young, if you if you care about the things that matter to them, even if you know, they're prattling on about stuff that you, you legitimately couldn't care less about. Um, Cause that's going to happen. They're going to have some interests that you may not be that interested in, but if they know when they're little, that you are interested in what interests them, that you listen to what's on their heart, that pays off just in so many ways as they're teenagers. And they still know that you care about what's in their heart and you listen to them. And now in their young adult years that they still know that you care about what interests them and they still want to be talking to you and sharing that with you. So um, like Israel said, you cannot overstate the value of spending that time investing in listening to and talking to your children at a very deep level while they're very young and building those relationships that are going to stand uh, even as they grow older and as 
tougher questions and have deeper conversations in the years to come. So Israel, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell everybody where they can connect with you? And then I'll, I'll be sure to leave some links below as well. Absolutely. Well, we would encourage you to visit our website, which is familyrenewal.org, familyrenewal.org. You can purchase our books from our website. You can get them anywhere that Christian books are sold, but we encourage you to purchase them from our site because that helps to uh, support our ministry the most. And when you do that, when you order books from our website, um, I will personally sign any books that you buy from our site. That's something that we can do that Amazon won't. And uh, we encourage you also to connect with us on social media. Um, We're on all the different social media platforms. Just look up Israel Wayne, probably is the best thing, or Family Renewal. Um, Also, we have a podcast that's called Family Renewal. We would love to have you connect with us there. And uh, Lord willing, we will be able to connect with you at live conferences out and about at some point in the future. We're recording this in 2020 when uh, <laughs> live con- live conferences uh, are a a pleasant memory of the past at the moment. But we're uh, we're we're looking forward to being able to get back out and see you in person uh, as the Lord opens those doors in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can't wait to get together again and have the fellowship and fun and encouragement that really only comes when God's people gather together. So um, like Israel said, we really look forward to seeing you all in spring of 2021, Lord willing. Um, So, you know, stay focused on that. Israel uh, has always been one of our favorite speakers and one of the Teach Them Diligently family's favorite speakers. So I hope you'll come out and hear him there. Um, And I hope that uh, you all just have a wonderful rest of your afternoon. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. A lot of the concepts we've discussed in today's podcast are further explored and more deeply explained in our newest class, Heart School. Heart School was written to help you refine your vision about what God has called you to do and to prepare you to disciple and educate your children with their hearts and yours in mind. We have to be intentional and purposeful in our parenting and discipleship efforts. So whether you're a young mom or you're brand new to homeschooling, or if you're a veteran mom who could use a good reminder and refresher course on why you're doing all of this in the first place, Heart School is for you. Visit teachthemdiligently.net slash heartschool for more details and enroll today. I can't wait to get to know you more there.